Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. I'm so excited to share uh, my friend Nico Barraza with you guys. Nico is just such an old soul and I feel like, um, I don't know, I just love listening to his perspective on so many topics and we had so much fun riffing with him a little bit today. You know, we've got that instant, at least I know I've got that instant, um, I guess, gut feeling where I'm like, oh, we need to have this person back because we could talk and talk and talk for hours. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not everybody's like that. I mean, they're like super awesome conversations, but it's like you get in there and you kind of get what you, what you want to talk about. And then it feels like it's, it's completed its cycle, if you will. But I feel like this conversation is one of those where we almost had to force ourselves to stop it because we could have kept going. So for sure, you all will be hearing Nico on the podcast again at some point in the future. Yeah, I feel like we're at the point where we could start doing round twos with people because yeah. we haven't really. Done or that yet. we could also start doing like, I don't know, y'all. Maybe you're gonna start seeing some like hour and twenty minutes or something. What? <laughs> hour and thirty? I don't know. We'll see. I know, right? We have to lengthen them a little bit, but I know you guys are gonna enjoy this conversation with Nico. It's just so good. Yeah, buckle up. If y'all haven't really dabbled in this world of like masculine and feminine energy, which Danae is like total hardcore (laughs) geeked out on right now, then uh, you'll get a little taste of it. It's kind of like dipping the toe in the water. So buckle up. Today, we are very excited for our guest, Nico Brasa. He is actually the founder of Altai Creative, specializing in producing and engineering strategic marketing, public relations, and outreach plans for businesses, organizations, and initiatives of all kinds. He's also an ex-pro athlete 
who serves as the host of the Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul podcast that covers everything about the most important subject that we will ever study ourselves. Hmm. Nico, you know, um, is to me, one of the beautiful things about social media is that you end up like through, like someone shares something and then you like it and you sort of follow that person and then you comment on it and you connect. And I feel like Nico and I became friends through social media and I'm just, you know, I'm so in awe all the time of the things that you write, the depth of your emotional intelligence and just the way that you show up and sort of model for, um, men and humans, how to, how to dig a little deeper with what's happening for us on an emotional level. Um, so I really appreciate the way that you show up in the world, Nico. And um, thank you for being here. And I'd, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your backstory. Like, how did you get to this place where these are concepts you're so interested in exploring? Well, first of all, thank both of you guys, Vanessa and Danae. I'm like, you know, humbled to be here and chatting with you guys. So I have a long story like everyone else. And I think I'll start maybe from like where I was born and raised because that is a big impact. So uh, I was born uh, to a single mother down in Tucson, Arizona in the West Side Barrios. So very much sort of like middle, lower income family. She uh, was a teacher most of her life and then went back to school to get her master's degree and was a librarian, but <clears throat> never made north of like 36K, you know, very, very moderate income for the time, uh, like single minority female. And my grandparents uh, played a huge role in raising me because I didn't have a dad growing up. So it was my grandfather, my grandmother. So it was kind of like this trifecta of people yeah. raising me and my whole family, they're all athletes. So kind of was raised like, you know, the way you get out of the, the body back in the day, or probably still today was like, you play baseball, basketball, football, soccer, some sort of sport, you know, yeah. or you go, you go to school, you become a doctor, an engineer, or, you know, a lawyer or something like that. Pretty, pretty typical things to get out. Right. Um, and yeah, Tucson was a great place. I loved it. it it's a, it's an awesome place to grow up. Um, but I found myself you know, as I read more about science and about culture and about like, I've always been really curious, like a curious kid, you know, I went to Catholic school for the grades like one through six, and I got kicked out of Catholic school, sixth grade, um, because I kept asking the nuns, that doesn't make any sense. What, what are you guys talking about? You know, and they didn't like that. So, and I went to an old school, like parochial school. So I got smacked a couple of times, the ruler. And my mom was like, she's like, this is not, this is not rolling, you know? So she, that my whole family is Catholic and she took me out, threw me into public school, which is coincidentally where she taught. She was a public teacher and uh, public school kind of changed my world. I feel like, you know, not to, not to bag on Catholic school at all. Cause it was great for some reasons, but I was like exposed to a bunch of different cultures, religions, kids from different parts of the, the, the town, because, you know, I was in my sort of own little bubble where I grew up on the West side. And uh, it was just, it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things, you know? Um, and then of course, hormones started playing a role around, around eighth grade. And I was like, started getting interested in girls. You know, I was like, oh, this girl, you know, it's like you, you become like an, an adult at some point there. Right. And then um, it just kind of evolved through high school, played sports. My whole high school was, uh, was recruited pretty heavily for baseball to a lot of bigger schools in the country. But I, I've always been like multifaceted kid. Like one thing I think I got to give credit to my mother for doing is she was always like, you want to play music? play music well you know she'll buy me the guitar she could afford or you know we never could afford lessons but it was like go buy a used guitar at, you know uh, bookman's which is a pretty famous used bookstore in town they always have music musical instruments and so i played music my entire young life you know and that was a huge influence and was an artist my mom's an artist too and so anyways cutting to the the college story so i was like okay what do i want to do for college you know and i got really into sort of environmental ed and environmental science and i was like i want to study something to do with climate change because like that's mm -hmm. how i want to give back like you know i want to be a scientist and study this stuff because when I was 18 I started reading books by like Richard Louvre or Armory Lovins about you know 
what we were doing to the planet and how our relationship with the planet was fading. So I went to San Diego State where I played sports and studied environmental science uh, for four years. And if you guys know anything about San Diego State, it's an insane school. I mean, you know, everyone there is gorgeous. So I think I fell in love every five seconds. Um, <laughs> might be some shadow stuff there. Who knows? But I, uh, you know, and, and it was it was an awesome experience. But um, when I was 22, my grandfather passed away about four months before I was going to graduate. And uh, it was kind of a big deal for me to go to college just because, uh, you know, just sort of first kid from that side of the family to like go to college outside of my mother. And, um, you know, when he passed away, it was I had never experienced loss before. And so it was just like this huge um, I don't know. I didn't know. I don't know how to explain it because I'd never experienced it before. You know, I, I'd been, I'd lost friends to gang violence. I'd lost a close friend that I played baseball with growing up. Um, he was serving in Afghanistan and he, he passed away. And, uh, it kind of just like something in my brain switch where it's like mm -hmm. my trajectory of like getting 10 PhDs and going to law school too, and saving the world and doing all these things. I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. Like, I know I want to help people, but I need to figure out how I need to help myself. Cause something was just not, you know, not okay after this mm -hmm. loss and probably wasn't okay before but you know before then I had never like fallen in love before never been in a serious relationship so these are things you sort of want to ask as a man your father figure in life and he was gone like that so I, you know boom like immediately I lose this person that I had so many questions yet to to be answered mm -hmm. and so I sell all my shit my senior year um, and I moved to Chile to South America like I sold my truck I sold everything I took climbing gear running gear and a guitar and I moved down there and I stayed down there for a year, a little bit over a year and ton of shit happened in Chile, which could be a whole nother podcast. In <laughs> itself. But um, that's sort of when I got really into ultra running, which is what I sort of turned pro in and ultra running is just distances over 50 K. So it could be 30 miles to hundred miles. Some people are doing like 200 mile races nowadays, which blows my mind. Um, nope. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, totally. I mean, we, we can get into why I, why I thought I got in that sport. Cause it's a very sort of it, it, at the elite level, it attracts a very specific type of personality and i think mm -hmm. the majority of elites if they're really honest would agree with me a lot of people are running from something because mm -hmm. it's so it's like it's so painful you know it's like you're destroying your body day in and day out and it's a wonderful life for a lot of reasons but there's a lot of a lot of avoidance in the sport yeah. you know, body body stuff diets mm -hmm. emotional mental that stuff and so I fell in love for the first time down in chile met this gorgeous russian girl she's 510 was a model spoke like seven languages worked in film and I was 22, she was 22. And I was just like blinders on, you know, just like this person is my spirit animal, soulmate, what have you. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, fell in love. We, we had this long story and moved, moved to Flagstaff together. I bought a home when I was 23 and we, uh, we, you know, all the trauma from both of us just was like, blah, came out over yep. the year we were together. Cause we were young, we were dumb and we thought we knew everything, you know? And so it, it was consistently just like very volatile, you know, and, when she left when i was 23 uh she like one of the things that i realized was like man i i got some stuff i need to work on you know as a 23 mm. year old man and i also knew that it was from a lot of it majority of it was from childhood if not all of it mm. but i didn't know what to do you know so i have I like, to okay. say really quick to interrupt you that's pretty uh profound for a 23 year old guy well, not to, to like be... genderize it but a 23 year old guy to have that realization <laughs> just saying yeah uh, I feel like a lot of people say that, and, it, and I have one other story that kind of leads into that. So when I was 18, my first day at college dorms, I was, you know, baseball player and, you know, pretty good looking kid, like athletic kid. And my roommate, uh, he was like, Hey, let's go to this frat party. You know, like I'm going to this frat. It was like first day in San Diego. Like I literally just moved from Tucson. I always lived in Arizona my whole life. And I was reading a book by the Dalai Lama called the universe is a single atom. 
And I, it was, it's a really good book. And I was like, dude, I got, I want to finish this book, man. He's like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? He's like, he's like, he's like, we're 18 and we're in San Diego. Like he had just moved from Northern California, you know? And he's just like, there's frat parties all like, you know, there's just like alcohol everywhere. Girls like, everywhere. Yeah, so, so you see like, what I'm saying about Nico soul, right? It's, it's kind like, of old, I'm a little good, older like, than, uh, like there's plenty 18. of time for that. You know, like I can go tomorrow or something, you know, it's like, I'm good. And I stayed and finished that book and it, you know, coincidentally, I saw him, I saw the dog on speak at San Diego state a couple of years after that. But uh, yeah, I think it, you know, I don't know if it's in dick, if it has to do with masculine or feminine, but I think I've just always had that inquisitive nature as a kid that there's a lot more um, to like life and experience than what's between my two ears. Mm. And the only way I think I can understand that is by reading what other people have left behind in bits of wisdom, whether that's being a book or a talk and, you know, I'm a, I'm a hyper introvert, but I also enjoy spending time around people. So I guess it was easier for me as a kid being a mm. sort of, you know, being with a single mom and being a, an only child that had a lot of alone time, I guess you could say. So yeah, uh, what fell in love with this girl broke up, broke out my heart broken, like was absolutely destroyed. Literally like the, the epitome of codependency, like lost myself completely thought everything, like all my worth was gone. Cause this person didn't want me, you know, didn't want to mm-hmm. be with me. And, um, took myself to therapy and the the therapist you know just for six months I went to see this lady every every week and I was a student at the time a grad student not making money from running yet and she uh she you know operated on sliding scale so I paid her like 40 bucks an hour which is insanely cheap nowadays for for therapy when she was a sweetheart and uh it it blew my mind you know like Mm. sitting there and talking about like minor child and my sort of parenting structure and looking at the volatility and sort of the, the hot and coldness of my childhood, along with all the happy times too, and seeing how that proliferated in my relationships and not just in my romantic relationships, but like in the workplace or in my school setting, you know, especially when I was triggered or something like that, you know, and I've always been a pretty like calm person, but there's always been like a fire in me too. You know, like I've been a fighter my whole life. Like I got in a lot of fights when I was a kid, you know, I've been an athlete. So there's like that drive, but um, yeah, I think just, going to therapy for the first time sort of was this just flung this huge door open you know I had been kind of like figure trying to figure out how to open it myself but I was like fuck I don't know how to get across this you know it's like there's some shit that I don't understand and yeah this this lady just you know blew my mind and and um coincidentally uh I was I was single for five and a half years got like turned pros and ultra runner pretty much four or five months after that traveled the world ran was sponsored by a bunch of companies you know and during this time, I was like, oh, I'm healed. I'm good. You know, I'm single, like, but I'm looking for a partner. I was like, I want, you know, I was even at that age, I was like, I want like a, a real partnership. You know, I'd always say that I don't want to be, I don't want to be a teacher, be taught. I want to be met, you know, and I want to, mm. I want to be able to share this with someone really idealistic though. I had a list. I still have a list, but I need to get <laughs> rid of it. I'm just like 50 million things that probably no one can ever live up, live up to. Mm. And, uh, it's funny when I was running, like, I didn't know this at the time, but I was probably the most lonely I've ever been hypothetically having everything I wanted, you know, which was yeah. like, I didn't really have a job. I got paid to go to sleep, wake up and eat, drink some coffee, run 20 miles, do it again every day and then race, you know? And, you know, it wasn't until I met my, my, my most recent ex-partner where, you know, after the first year of the honeymoon phase, I realized like, man, I, I'm still doing some of the shit I was doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it really took until she left, which was May of 2020, for me to go back to therapy because I, I took like six years off of therapy, which mm-hmm. now when I think about it, I was like, dude, like you don't stop going to the gym for six years, you know, or you don't, you don't stop eating healthy for six years because shit goes awry. But and- I think so many of us, I want to jump in. Like, I think so many of us, that's so common. Um, mm-hmm. 
I think we look at maybe therapy and those kind of uh, aha revelatory experiences as quote unquote, the work, Hmm. right? And so many of us don't realize that that's actually just the icing. (laughs) That's actually not the cake. Like the cake, the hard stuff is the relational stuff. So it's when you get back into another relationship that the work begins, right? Or you can actually put like what you've learned into practice. Otherwise it's just Mm. learning. It's just stuff like you said, between your ears. Amen. I completely agree with that. I, I, I always have this like little parable that, you know, like when I sit in a therapy room, it's almost like the therapist is like opens a window and they're like, there's a big ass storm outside, bud. Like you got to go and sit in it. And so the therapist is sort of the gatekeeper to show you what's going on inside you to, to make connections, help you make connections, but all the work you have to do, mm-hmm. stopping the triggers, like the understanding your patterns, understanding like, you know, what you're attracting, why you're attracting it, how you're responding. Th- those things are, that's self-work. The therapist isn't mm-hmm. going to do that for you. They're a different human being, right? And so I think a lot of people go to therapy and they think that they're going to walk out and be healed. And it's like, no, you're going to walk out and hopefully if you've been completely honest with the therapist, see all the shit that you've been avoiding, mm-hmm. but then you still got to find ways to deal with it. And hopefully they can give you some tools, you know, yeah. to deal with it, but you still got to utilize those tools. And, um, I had realized that, you know, for five years of ultramarine, I was really avoiding a lot of that work. I was aware of it because when I went to therapy when I was 23, I was aware of it, mm-hmm. but working on it, not so much, you know, I, I would win a race or come in third or whatever, 28th. And I would finish and feel a high for, you know, a week or two from the dopamine and then be lonely again, or Mm -hmm. feel like there was something absent in my life. And I understand it more now, but you know, when, when my partner left in May of 2020 for the second time, I was like, you know, I needed to take accountability for the things that I did in the relationship that weren't healthy. And I guess I can sort of fast forward to the crash. What kind of like quote unquote retired me from pro endurance sports is that uh, in 2019, we had, uh, I'd sold my house in 2018 and we were buying, we bought this big van, you know, did this millennial thing. We're going to build a van out. It's going to be a really nice place living it full time for four years. It'll pay itself off. And so we were down in Tucson and both of us were training for the season. It was the winter time. And, uh, we were building the van out because up here in flag, it's way too cold in the winter. And, uh, I was trying to transition to pro gravel cycling, which has been blowing up in the U S it's been big in other countries for a while now. And kind of getting away from running a little bit because I was really burnt out. My, I've been like starving myself for seven years. You know, it's, it was, I'm a bigger person and most of the guys I'm racing against are really tiny. Mm. And, uh, and Tay was still running. That was my, that's Mike's partner. And I went out on a Saturday morning for this big group ride called the shootout in Tucson, which is an all pro ride. It's a very like fast ride with a lot of young fit people that either race in Tour de France, the Giro or, or nationally, they're just good riders. And I, one of the sponsors that I had sent me this brand new crank and the crank, um, unfortunately was fabricated a little bit off. So there was a defect on it. And so I got up to sprint in the middle in the top front of this Peloton going 38 miles per hour and a bunch God. of friends around me and my, it just ripped the chain off violently and my, my both of oh. my feet unclipped. And I just, it was like, I got hit by a car because usually yeah. when you're, when you're racing bikes, you can, you know, when you're going to crash and so you can lay it over or do something. It was like, I got hit immediately. So I hit the ground hit the ground again, spun downhill, going 30 miles per hour, like smashed, smashed my helmet, like split my head, um, have a huge scar on my leg, the chain ripped open and tore all the ligaments in my dominant right shoulder, which my right arm pretty much propelled me through most of my life being an athlete. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't walk for three or four weeks, got a you know, ride to the ER and the, the side of town we crashed on, it's not, um, it's not an impoverished side of town, but it's a lower income side of town. So the healthcare there is not great. And so the ER I went to, I sat in a 
sort of a, a bed for 45 minutes when they should have done a CT scan on my head because I could have had a brain bleed, Ugh. you know, and it was just it was just like the worst case scenario you could experience yeah. you know, for then. Right. And so, um, you know, having a TBI, which is what I had a traumatic brain injury, I was extremely difficult to be around. You know, what, mm. it's funny. I interviewed Dr. Caroline Leaf and she she's like, did you have a support system? And I was like, no, I was alone down there because three weeks after I crashed, my partner, she left. Mm. Uh, she just couldn't she just couldn't deal with Me it too. or didn't want to deal with it. And, you know, she didn't want to pause her running. So she left and kept running, you know? And so that like crushed me. So not having a support system plus having crashed, um, you know, it was just, I had never been uh, suicidal my entire life, but there were two weeks in that time that I for sure got as close as you can possibly get to taking mm -hmm. your own life. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I think I didn't is because, um, Two of my friends from San Francisco knew something was going on. You know, I didn't really post anything about social media because I didn't want to make like her look super bad. Like I had posted some stories and that really pissed her off. So like I, I stopped saying anything like I crashed because I didn't know if I was going to have to get in a lawsuit because this company, it was like their fault that I crashed, you know? So anyways, these two friends had like some sort of intuition and I got messages from them like, Hey, are you okay? Like we have, we've seen photos of Tay running these races in California and we don't see you there. You know, usually I would travel all over the place to crew her. And, um, and I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, could not move my arm. It was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in yeah. my shoulder. And I didn't know because the shoulder was the thing that hurt the most, but my head, my brain was the thing that was injured the most. And I didn't know that because I'd never hit my head that hard, you know? And uh, so they flew out for two weeks, took time off work and stayed with me, drove me to MRI appointments, drove me to doctor's appointments. I had the shittiest insurance because I was making like maybe around 35, 40 K as a full-time runner. So enough to live and have a great life, like to be a runner, but I wasn't saving money, you know, it was, and uh, yeah, it was just kind of worst case scenario. Should have got surgery right away. Didn't. Um, it was like pushed off for years until I got better insurance. So a good surgeon would operate on me, but my codependent nature again comes right back. You gotta love it, right? And, and the brain injury probably played some role in it because I was super emotional. I mean, I remember opening the refrigerator when I was alone in, in this house uh, that had no furniture because we were building out this van down in Tucson we were renting out. And uh, I just started crying, like just started crying immediately. And I'm like, not that I think anything's wrong with crying at all, but there was no reason at the time, like I was looking for milk or something, you know? And I'm mm -hmm. like, man, this is indicative of a TBI for sure. You mm -hmm. know, like I didn't have a conscientious then because I was in it, but mm -hmm. my like, sound like I, I remember trying to go to um a restaurant with my with my grandmother and table before she left and even like fork noises like my head would start ringing yeah. it was it was like that bad right mm -hmm. and so uh yeah these 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 friends come down take care of me sort of nursing back to health and what do i do immediately i put my dog in the van get in the van and drive straight to portland to try to get this gal to get back together with me right and um you know spending some time in portland i'm still not even recovered you know i'm still super banged up and like her parents don't talk to me. She will barely talk to me. It's almost like, you know, I like I'm not a victim in that situation, even though I crashed. It was it was a weird experience, you know, super mm -hmm. weird. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things I learned is just that when you have a brain injury, A, you shouldn't be doing shit like that. But B, it's like, I think that regardless of the brain injury, like what I ever describe it as, because the people that haven't had a TBI is that you have all this trauma, right? And most of your adult life, you build these governors up to sort of moderate that trauma. So you don't really like yell and scream at people you don't know very well, because even though you might be pissed off, those governors are there. But if you get to know someone really closely, you know, our shadow comes out and we be, we're more comfortable with being our complete selves, whether that's a good situation or a bad situation. So when you hit your head that hard, all those governors you built up are gone. Mm. So that child that's been sitting inside of you is still there, right? And so basically you're an infant, an emotional infant in an adult's body immediately. Mm. 
you know, and that's why a lot of athletes that crash uh, cyclists or football players, they end up, you know, dying by suicide or, or, or going off the rails because they, they lose their sense of identity. And if they don't have a support system, they lose like, you know, everything essentially. Right. I mean, if you imagine you losing your partner and your work and yourself at the same time, it, it sort of seems like, well, why am I living? You know, that was like my, my question in my head. Right. And so uh, we got back together and we spent a year together and I paid, I think, couple a good amount of money for couples counseling for the first three months we got back together and it was super super good obviously amazing um she had never been to counseling outside of an issue she dealt with in undergrad but it like kind of blew her mind open because she had not been in there and a lot of the things i was trying to communicate that i couldn't communicate the therapist was it could help because she's like she would be like no like you know nico really is like he's saying this and he's like not meaning to hurt you it's just like the the reality of the situation you know mm-hmm. and same with me because i wasn't listening i mean i would shut down and not listen when i was hurt and she would say no, no 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 this is this is what's going on like you're reacting to this you know like you need to listen to what she's saying and you know one thing that led, led to another and the day before my shoulder surgery in may of 2020 um you know we had gotten in some big fights over the past um couple of weeks for myriad of stuff i'm sorry i know i'm talking a bunch but i figure i'll just give you guys the the story. The story. She, yeah, she, uh, she left like the day before my surgery, and um, you know, again, like brokenhearted, and nothing was communicated to me. It was just kind of like, "Hey, I'm out." You know, she had her reasons for sure. Like, uh, you know, we we both went through a lot of stuff and caused a lot of pain, and you know, for her own like privacy, I don't need to get into that specifically. But you know, we both made a lot of mistakes. But I think that ultimately, like, I I was really willing to work on it and do whatever it took to meet each other, mm-hmm. but she wasn't. You know, and that's okay. And I think from that, like without experience, experiencing the depth of love I have for this woman, like, I don't think I would have got myself into therapy again. Cause immediately I was like, you know, destroyed, went back to mm-hmm. therapy. I'm probably going to stay in therapy for the rest of my life now. Um, and you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. You know, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't have started this podcast. I wouldn't have met folks like Danae, folks like you, Vanessa, like, I, you know, it's just, it's just weird how that works out. Like if I would have never crashed that day, I wouldn't be sitting here in this chair mm-hmm. and there's some like blessings in that, that I didn't realize when it was happening, obviously, because those things sucked and I don't wish those things upon anybody, but you know, I wouldn't have, I don't know, been empowered to be the person I am today. And I'm still have a lot of healing to go. Like that's, that's the project of a lifetime, but mm-hmm. I'm really appreciative for the experiences that I've gotten from anyone that's been in my life, specifically this person that I, that I love so deeply, because I, I want to ask you both, but I don't think you can like get cracked open that that deeply unless it's like deep deep love Mm. you know love for a child or love for a partner or something like that like you have to have a sense of loss or a sense of grief like that deep to just crack your soul open and then you still have a choice like run away from it avoid stay the same or deal but you know the the door was kind of swung open because of this immense love and this immense pain that i caused and, and she she caused too you know so here we are today I mean, this is kind of the conversation I wanted to start next was, um, you know, the why behind the creation of the podcast. Hmm. So it it sounds like this is kind of the why. It sounds like not only was this the why to go back to therapy, but it was also the why to create the podcast, I'm assuming, to kind of connect with, you know, like-minded others and continue these these tough conversations. Most definitely. Yeah. And I think the why is is kind of twofold. Like, um, I... uh, I have always been a person that my friends come to for relationship advice, mm-hmm. you know, or they come to you for like family advice or something like that. Like I've just been, you know, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a clinician, but people just gravitate towards me because one, like I, I don't, it doesn't matter how much I care about you. I'm always going to try to give you unbiased 
my unbiased opinion, not, not just because I'm not going to like, you know, stick you in an echo chamber and be like, you're awesome. You did great. It's their fault. You know, no, I'm going to, and that's why I, that's the people I want in my life too. Right. And I also believe in, you know, like listening to someone and really trying to understand maybe the things that they're not seeing, you know, cause there's mm. a lot of times I'm talking to people and I'm so emotionally involved in something that I can't see certain things, you know? And so I think over the years, different people have kind of asked me to be like, I've always had these conversations with people from a bunch of different walks of life, whether it's someone I meet down the street that's homeless or a pro athlete or a therapist or a life coach or whoever. And they're like, you should have, you should record these conversations and, you know, start a podcast because everybody's doing it, but you know, you should do it too. And, and I was like, okay, I'll think about it. And it wasn't really until this sort of second loss of, of love uh, that I had enough sort of internal driver. I'm like, no, I think, I think it's a good time. I have the mm -hmm. time. I have the materials to do it. You know, let's just do it. So March of 2021, right? I think so. March of 2021. Yeah. Um, so not long ago is when I launched it and it's been such an awesome experience, learning experience too, ever since. Yeah. It's such a great podcast, Nico. Um, you said something that sort of made my ears perk forward that I wanted to ask you about. You said, I wanted in partnership to be met and not taught. And I wanted you to say more about that because I felt really curious where that comes from. Yeah. I guess and I don't want to teach. That was the other part. It was like, I don't want to yeah, teach. So, I don't want to be taught. I want to be met. I'm going to backpedal on that a little bit because I do believe um, good partnerships require you to be a good student and a good teacher. So I mm. want to backpedal on a little bit. Like I do think you have to teach and you have to learn. I guess my my experience in, in my two serious relationships and, and mostly the, the most recent one was that I'm consistently playing the role of teacher, mm. right? And, and consistently like be, be playing the role of advisor. And, and that's not because I'm like masculinity or anything like that. It's just like, that's the role I've, I'm falling into naturally because the partners that I'm attracting are, I would say at least on an emotional level, like haven't done as much investigating you know and it's not that their capacity is there just as much these are amazingly talented human beings women mm -hmm. um but i i really want to at least in my, my version of a partnership to find someone that you know can meet me where i'm at or or even be like i can learn i want to learn from them too mm -hmm. you know and i've gone back and forth like is it because i'm not listening why i'm not learning things but i actually am learning things now so it's kind of funny how that works out but yeah i think you know my my version of something that's someone you can practice love with is, you know, and this is why I backpedal on that initial statement is because I really do think, and this is from like school of life work, like you need to be able to be a good listener and a good teacher and both skills must be developed independently, right? Mm -hmm. Like just from being in relationships, we don't get better at relationships. We have to be consciously practicing attributes in a relationship that lead to healthy partnerships in the relationship to get better at relationships, you know, cause you can have 40 relationships by age 40 and suck at them still you know, and a lot of people do that. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do that anymore. And that's, I guess that's what I meant by that statement is like, not so much that you're not a teacher or learner, but you're just, it's not one-sided. You're not only right. a teacher or only a listener. You have to be able to play both roles balance mm -hmm. specifically when the emotions are hot, right? Because mm -hmm. that's when it really matters. Cause it's, it's quite easy when you're calm and you're just talking about who's doing the dishes. Although people get pissed off about that too, but <laughs> let's say it's something serious, right? And, you know, you're just not listening to understand you're listening to respond. And we do that so much. I've been guilty of that so much in my life. And it's only until you become aware of it where you're like, no, I want to change this. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? I mean, now that you've been doing the podcast for a little while and it's gotten traction, like, what do you think is some of the, I mean, if you had to say like top, I don't know, one to three, like most profound things that you've learned through your conversations, do you think you're even able to like narrow it down? 
Man, that's a great question. The first thing is that loneliness for the most part exists in every human being to an mm -hmm. extent and that it is completely natural to experience loneliness at some point in our life as a human being, even while being in a relationship. Yep. It's not indicative of an unhealthy relationship. Um, you know, it just, it's just a, a, a state of being and it's not continuous, not forever. It could be indicative of issues in your relationship, but you can be lonely in a relationship and have a great relationship too. You know, sometimes it's just within us. That's one of the things. The other thing is just, it just reiterated what I've learned in my own experience, but just how important being a good communicator is. And being a good communicator does not only mean being a good talker, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people think oh, I'm a good communicator. I can say exactly what I mean when I feel it's like, no, it's also knowing when to withhold things you want to say mm. for, the, for the betterment of the situation Amen. and also when to listen and shut up. And, you know, those are two things that I really needed to work on because I was, you know, being a, a kid, I was really like, oh, I'm just going to say this because this is what I believe in, you know? And as I fell in love more, it's like, no, I need to sometimes bluntness and even honesty at all times is not appropriate. Right. You know, can actually because be the weapon, right? It can actually be the weapon. It can actually be used as a tool of resentment, as a tool mm -hmm. of ego. And that's, that's not good. And I've done that plenty of times. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably the other thing is that communication is not just one side. It's not just being a good talker. It encompasses all forms of communication, even silent communication, right? So yeah. even body language, even, you know, how you're looking at someone. Um, and then maybe a third thing is that uh, I, I just have a sort of a new founded optimism in humanity because mm -hmm. I think being a scientist and seeing what's going on with the earth and how we're sort of still ignoring what the data has been saying for years, I, I got, I got pretty pe pessimistic there in sort of my early twenties. I was like, man, we're fucked. You know, mm -hmm. I could say that. Right. Um, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> just making sure. Um, and now I'm just like, you know what? I don't know what the answers are. I do think that we're a very resilient species and we're, you know, we have ways of being ingenious in times of crisis, but meeting all these people like, your, like yourselves, like who are doing this amazing work. And I, and I think any issue that can be attributed in humanity starts from within the individual. You know, we look at even back in the times of Babylon, like the separation between the human and nature. It used to be nature was us. We are mm -hmm. nature, right? And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden when we built these walls, it's like, here's society and civilization outside is nature that's unknown that's fear and that's just a you know a personify a personification for our shadow it's the same way we treat the things we don't want to see inside of us it's unknown why would we get to know it, it makes us feel bad shut it and out we're, shut it out why would we go outside when it's raining it's scary why would we go outside where there's bears and wolves it's scary it's like actually this is our planet too you know not that we should go mm -hmm. trample over everyone's environment but the point i'm making is like there's a separation between our soul and what we're doing you know, and until we get to know the deepest parts of ourselves, we can't know the deepest parts of anything else, you know, and I was agnostic and, and an atheist for a long time being a scientist, you know, lost, lost faith and, and stuff. And I'm not like a religious person, but I am a spiritual person now. Um, and it, it really was healthy for me to get back connected to that too, because that gave me more sort of, uh, I don't know, just an understanding of working for something greater than myself or the collective of humanity or of life or of energy, whatever you want to frame it as, you know. But I think that that was important for me personally too to reconnect with. I mean, I feel like with Nigo, like we could go in so many different directions and riff on them because we could talk about sports, we could talk about science. But <laughs> um, I, you know, a lot of what I wanted to talk to you about, at least this this round, Nigo, is um, just some of the things that I've been seeing you post about relationships and um, 
you know, I'm a little bit obsessed with these masculine and feminine dynamics and relationships. And you posted a video the other day about mutual effort and the importance of it in relationships. And I then saw a video by someone, I, I think you're friends with Connor Beaton. And he was talking about like why women don't want to validate your feelings as men. Mm. And I was really curious to hear your thoughts on this. Cause I feel like your perspectives are always so eye-opening to me. Yeah. Um, but basically what he was saying just for our listeners is that, you know, when women say to men, I want you to open up more, I want you to like bring me into your emotional world. What they are saying is I'm seeing you as emotionally dysregulated and they want you to open up and talk to them about like what's happening for you, but they want to know that you're able to actually navigate your own emotional landscape. And that when men, um, and here's what he was saying that I thought was interesting because you were talking about how mutual effort doesn't actually mean like tit for tat dynamics. It means like both people are showing up fully, which I wholeheartedly agree with. But he was also saying, that it's tough because a lot of times what men will do is say like, you want me to validate your emotional world. You don't do that for me. And that puts, um, and this is like in a very heteronormative sense that I'm speaking, right? But that right. sort of puts a man in a very feminine energetic when he says, you're not validating my experience, right? And he's saying, you know, when a woman does that for you, what that does is really parentify her basically, right? Like she can navigate the emotional landscape of her child. That's actually a mother's job. But when she does it for you as her partner, that strips the relationship of polarity, that strips the relationship of any sort of sexual charge. And he was like, basically, you know, we've, you know, I've talked about Esther Perel's work a little bit where she's mm. saying like, we're going to our partner for everything and it's a problem, right? Like men are going to their, you know, again, heteronormatively, their women saying like, I want you to be my entire emotional world. I want you to hold all this for me. And women are like, I can do that for you, but then I, I don't feel turned on by you. I don't feel like, you know, you're sort of like one of my girlfriends, right? And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because I feel like your perspective on okay. these dynamics is always fascinating to me. It's so funny you bring up that video of Connor. So I, uh, clients, Connor is a client of mine. So I actually edit these videos and oh, wow. I, I post a lot of his stuff and work with him, you know, really closely. And I disagree with that video a little bit. Um, <laughs> I thought you okay. might. Yeah, okay <laughs> um, because I, I think he's brilliant too, you know, and, and these are the conversations that need to be had, you know, in a respectful yeah. manner. Mm -hmm. And, and here, here's my thing. It's that, you know, I guess, so, so the thing I posted was that I believe, you know, I, I completely understand the concepts of masculine, feminine energy of matriarchy and patriarchy, but I, I consider myself a humanist overall, because mm -hmm. I think that we all have these polarities inside of us and there might be third and fourth dimensions too, that we're just not tapped into, mm -hmm. you know, there could be millions of them, but if we just break it down to masculine and feminine, like, you know, I think you, you can't be vulnerable or, or expect validation with the expectation that you know this like you don't do it for the other person you know i think it really comes from the individual again and so in my mind like a conscious partnership where, where a man is sharing vulnerable feelings like i don't think i personally don't think he should have to put boundaries on what he's sharing or, or it's in connor's video it kind of almost seemed like the, the guy needs to be conscientious about what he's sharing because it shouldn't come off as the women as a woman should have to validate his emotions or feelings mm -hmm. and perhaps in a sort of underdeveloped relationship that might be the case but i would hope if both people are working on themselves that it's not about the person validating their feelings it's about them connecting it's about them understanding like my partner's hurting my partner's mm -hmm. suffering mm -hmm. how can i respond i care yeah. about this person because we're not playing for different teams here you know 
So right. it's not tit for tat. And that's what I meant with the thing I posted is like, it's not tit for tat if you're on the same damn team. You know, mm-hmm. if we score a point, we get, you know, we get a point. If we don't, we need to change who's up at the batter's box, you know? And the, the thing that I think about is like, I always go back to Simon Sinek's understanding of game theory. I love his work and I love game theory. And mm-hmm. a majority of people in relationships are playing finite games. Mm-hmm. And that's what tit for tat means. It means that there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And uh, for everyone that doesn't know, a finite game is a game that has rules and a, a, a beginning and end, right? So there's actual rules to this game. So like baseball, basketball, volleyball, whatever, chess, right? An infinite game. And so the whole point of a finite game, by the way, is to win, right? The whole point is to win the game, to end the game, you get a medal, get a trophy, big smile, photo, great, right? The infinite game is the whole point of that game is to keep the game going. There's no ending, there's no mm-hmm. ending. It's just to keep it going. And that's what love is. That's what, that's what romance is. Healthy romance, you know, not, not sort of this archaic romance. We got taught by romantics, not, not the one on the Disney channel I'm talking about. I'm talking about real romance. And, you know, in that, in that deep connection where literally two souls are so hopefully seeing each other for all that they are, it's very difficult, but I think it's achievable for people. That's a, that's an infinite game. Two mm-hmm. people are on the same team playing the same game. Doesn't mean they won't slip up. Doesn't mean there won't be pain. Doesn't mean there won't be shit they have to walk through, but they walk through together. You know, they might get off stride once in a while, but they walk through together and their, their mission is to, you know, continue that game, continue that game, you know, until eternity past when the human existence is up, you know, the bell Hmm. rings. And, and I think the thing that I disagree with, with Connor's video about, and I love you, Connor, if you're listening, but uh, (laughs) is, is that, you know, I think, I think it's like, it's too black and white in that scenario for me. You know, it's like, well, the masculine energy just shouldn't look for women to validate their feelings. I'm like, no, I believe in equity. Like, I Mm. I think that men need to be better at, uh, you know, listening. And this is a heteronormative again, like this, this, this attributes though to all uh, genders and all different relationships, whether it's polyamorous or monogamous or whatever. It's that like, we should, not sort of be focusing on doing something to get something back. You know, yeah. I've done that in all my relationships mm-hmm. where I've been like, I'm showing up for you and doing all these things. Like, why are you showing up for me? And it's like, if, if this person isn't showing up for me, I need to have enough self-respect to get, you know, give them chances. But if they're not doing it continuously, like, I need to walk away at some right. point, you know, but if you're being met, it's not tit for tat because you're, you're met, meeting each other. Like if, if my partner's hurt, for instance, and I see them crying or hurt and I've done something or it's someone else like, I'm going to be hurt and concerned, like not in a way that I'm absorbing it, but I'm like, I'm worried about my partner. I want to connect with them. Like, how can I, how can I help you? Or can I just listen? I think this is a good, good thing with like the masculine energy is a lot of times men just want to fix shit. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, well, just like do this or do that. And it's Mm -hmm. like, the one thing that I've learned a lot is like, ask someone what they need and they might not even know. So if they don't know, don't give them something that they didn't ask for still, you know? So if like someone's hurting and you know, you just want to say, well, uh, you know, forget that person. Like, you know, they're horrible for you. Like you should just not be friends with them. Maybe they just want you to listen. Maybe they're just Mm -hmm. having a bad day. Maybe they just want you to sort of hold space and be there energetically for them, you know, hold Mm -hmm. them. And I think a lot of men will just jump and be like, Oh, just, you know, do this. And and I don't just want to bash my own sex. I think it exists in both sexes. Um, there's, you know, there's, I would say, developed parts of masculine and feminine and undeveloped parts. I don't really, I don't really like to use the word toxic because we throw around and we shame masculinity and patriarchy so much these days with that word. And it's like, man, we need it. We sort of need to stop doing that because we don't know if the world would be better or at least Western culture, if it was uh, a matriarch society, I think we need to work on meeting each other, you know, and patriarchy has done a ton of fucked up things. And it's definitely been the result for a lot of bad things in society, but it also has been 
it also has been at the helm of a lot of good things and same with matriarchy. And I think the idea is not like one is better than the other. You know, it's like, how can we use both of these polarities inside of us to be better human beings? You know, to yeah, balance it's better. Yeah. And I mean, and I am right there with you. I have like a visceral response when I hear the word toxic masculinity. I, I feel like I, I speak of that often and I often speak of it in terms of wounded masculine and feminine dynamics, which I think are alive in both men and women. But the thing I'm curious about, and, you know, I, I hear you and I definitely agree in like what is beautiful in theory about equity. And here's what I experience about in a lot of the couples that I work with. In the long haul, trajectory-wise, equity seems to create a real lack of polarity, which creates a real lack of sustained attraction, right? So mm -hmm. if you are like my equal, you know, girlfriend as my partner, like if there is no like difference between us in the way that we meet one another, there's often not an arousal state there, I find over time. And in Connor's video, what I found was he was speaking to something that I had experienced in my own marriage that I experienced in so many couples that I feel like we don't have, um, language for a lot of times. And some of these things are like instinctual primal, like I, you know, Vanessa and I were talking about it the other day. I think until I had experienced like a very like polar opposite energy as a woman, I, I had no, I had no like language for it. I had like, like, what is this? This is something that, and I think to me, this is a little bit of like where we're missing one another in relationships. Well, I think too, you know, and, and you and I have spoken about this today. I think also it, we have to put words to the fact that um, men if we're just talking about in the most recent history, I guess, of, of humans uh, in Western society, like men don't have necessarily like close, deep, vulnerable relationships with other men, right? Yes, like we've, we've socialized it out of them. We've made them believe that this is wrong and weak and bad. And you talk about sports and you slap each other's ass and you go home and that's it. Right. And <laughs> so I do wonder, you know, we're talking about like the kind of primal or like the essence of human nature, but that's not what we're actually playing with. We're playing with the essence of human nature that's been completely put upon by, unfortunately, by that patriarchal structure in this instance anyway, yeah. right? That says that emotions and vulnerability equal weakness. Mm -hmm. um, and so how much would this conversation actually be different if men had men that they could also bounce off of and get in deep with? Like what you're saying, Danae, it's like, oh, I look at you as one of my girlfriends. Men don't Men aren't going to look at me and say, I look at you with like one of my guy friends, I mean, maybe, but not in that kind of maybe romantic relationship wise, because they don't have guy friends that do that for them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's like important that we even put words to that because I don't think, unfortunately, again, we're talking men, women, whether it's, you know, heteronormative, it's like, unfortunately, right now at this place in history, men aren't coming to the table with the same hand of cards that women are. Mm. What do you think, Nico? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't disagree with that statement. Uh, you know, I think that that's that's true. So I, I want to get back to Danae's first comment about sort of, I, I would say you're talking about chemistry, right? Because there's like like sort of like attraction that, you know, uh, it's that polar attraction that sort of pull. It's like this magnetic force, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you need that in a healthy relationship, but I also think you need functionality. And a lot of times really good chemistry doesn't mean it's functional, mm -hmm. right? It means like it's Amen. like very sexy. Like I'm like super attracted to this person because they're polar opposite of me. Maybe they're really strong and self-confident and I'm not, or maybe they're really quiet and timid, but really sort of introspective and I'm not, you know, something like that. Right. And I'll just use like my past relationship as example, like, you know, um, for instance, uh, her being a woman, like signing contracts and she was absolutely crushing at the sport, like people, like companies were offering her like 
absolute chump change for contracts. You know, me being a minority man, I had gotten offered a bunch of crap because I wasn't a white male in the sport, right? There's not a lot of minorities in this sport. And, but I, I've been raised by the mother I was raised by. I was always like, wait a minute, man. No, I'm not signing this contract. Like I need mm. X amount more. I need this, this, and this, like, or I'll go somewhere else. And so being able to have that sort of strength and stand up, maybe that's masculine energy. Maybe it's feminine energy, stand up for myself, um, allowed me to sort of progress at least financially in this sport a lot quicker than other people. Right mm -hmm. now, fast forward to when we get together, uh, she's a lot, a lot more subdued. You know, she's like, like she was doing way better than I could ever do on my, on my side of the sport. And, you know, pe like people are offering her like, you know, 20 pairs of shoes for a contract and not that hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, you know, when she met me, I was like, no, call Adidas back or call whoever back and get on the phone with the agent and let's talk to them. Like you, you could talk to them, but this is like, this is not fair. They're only doing this because you're, you're a girl and they know you're not going to say anything because you can't see anyone else's contract. Right. I bring this up because this is the idea of polarity. Like we, we were polar opposites in a lot of things and that dynamic worked really well. And that like attracted us really mm -hmm. closely. Like, like you're saying Danae, and I think you do need that. But the other thing was the functional side of things. You do need like that stable balance. And that's, I think where I sort of flip the side of Connor's thing is like, he's right. That is a component of it. But I think it's, there's all these other nuances of it too, that you also need. And you can build those things. It's not like you find those immediately, you know, but I think you're right. I think you need that pol polar attraction for sure. And I think that is innately human. It's interesting because when we talk about how science or biology plays roles in these, a lot of people, you know, um, don't want to talk about that anymore. Like they don't want to talk about the gender differences because all of a sudden, like, you know, you're homophobe, you're a transphobe for that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we have biological differences with hormones and with brain and with our brain chemistry. And with, you know, back in the day, even if you look at like, you know, when we were hunter gathering, like when they found sort of bodies of, of men versus women, like they were doing different things, you know? like men were like collectively hunting, you know, with spears, women were like, you know, by the, you know, whatever, tending to these areas and tending to children. And so we have these dynamics, but as these things have been perpetuated in sort of patriarchal society, now, when, you know, we look at someone staying home, it's female, they're, they're like, okay, this person's like underempowered, or, you know, they're mm -hmm. not a feminist, because they're just, you know, doing this. And I'm like, I don't know if we can cut it out into that. You know, I, I don't think like, it's, it's a tough thing to talk about because I do believe that we need to evolve like, you know, as partners, as, 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 as the sexes too. But we also have these things inside of us that you guys spoke to that are innately human. They're innately male or female, you yes. know? And I don't think as much as we are rigid and try to fight back and we're like, no, we can like, we can be whatever we want to be. It's like, I don't know, man, there, there's these callings in most of us that sort of you know, like a protective nature or a father nature or a mother nature, you know? Mm. And I think those things, you just can't get rid of them. And the more you fight with them, the more you, you sort of start to lose yourself in some way too, because you're trying to like fight with your nature, you know? And I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's an interesting point because I don't have the answer to that. I just think that there's some things that are innately masculine, innately feminine. And some of, some of those things exist more in men than females mm -hmm. and exist more in females than males. And that's not a bad thing. It's not like, I don't think it's like anti-feminist to, to think, to think that like men, you know, ultimately like in the patriarchal side of a family, like want to be caretakers. They want to protect, they want to defend. And that's why we have more testosterone and usually more aggression, you know, like those are natural things for men to have now, just like capitalism, it's unregulated and there's a bunch of shadow operating. It gets out of hand real quick, you know? So yeah, yeah, very, very interesting points. And I, and I love talking about this stuff because I'm learning about it myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, same. And I think what you just said really beautifully articulated 
a lot of what I've been feeling, which is that like, we've gotten as a society at a space where like, we're not allowed to even acknowledge or speak to these differences. And I actually think that's not helpful. I think a lot of what we have been operating from is like feminism is, um, I think often a reaction to wounded patriarchy versus like, let's invite integration for all of us. Like, I think, you know, all of us need to integrate our masculine and feminine. I probably need to move into some of my more healthy masculine spaces as I invite myself into a more healthy feminine, right? Like, but to your point, like if we just can't talk about it, if we just have to pretend that some of these like instinctual urges and like primal ways of being aren't within us, then yeah, we're going to keep missing each other and being like, why can't we have functional relationships? What's going on? But we got to well, talk about it. To and the funny thing about that is that isn't that reaction in itself a, a masculine reaction? Like, isn't the reaction of like wanting things to be black and white and put in boxes and to make sense in a linear fashion. And we can't talk about this because then it gets into the nuance. And like, that makes people uncomfortable. Like that to me actually does have a very masculine, energetic, wounded masculine. It just masculine energetic period. I don't know that that's even wounded. I think it's actually important that sometimes we slip into our linear nature and want things to make sense and clear cut. Right. But that becomes wounded. Right. When it what to your point, when it's almost like that's the only way we're looking at it. And so I just think it's ironic. It's like what we're almost fighting against. We're then putting, we're putting almost more on top of it, if that makes sense. Yes. And I would just say though, that I think the healthy masculine does hold for nuance and is like, you know, like curious about difference. I think that some of the ways that our society holds masculinity are very wounded masculine. We just say like, these are masculine things and that's actually not healthy feminine or excuse me, healthy masculine energy. It's just like, we have almost made masculine synonymous with like, what is like wounded masculine as a society. And I was just going to say that because you know, I feel like a lot of times the masculine just gets absolutely shit on these days yeah. and it doesn't allow room for growth or evolution within it because to be masculine is all of a sudden to be at fault. Hmm. Right. Right. And that's not true. There's unhealthy parts of the feminine too. And I, I'm curious uh, asking both of you, like we could sit here for hours and talk about the unhealthy parts of the masculine living in patriarchal society, but can you guys tell me some of the unhealthy parts of the feminine? Because those are things sure. I'm trying to explore in my mind. Like what are some unhealthy parts of feminine where it would be a wounded feminine energy? I mean, it's all of what Vanessa's work is. It's like all of the codependency work. It's all of the, um, you know, the work around yeah, martyr like, syndrome. All, like, <laughs> Vanessa's stuff is all like wounded feminine energy. It's all anxious attachment energy. It's all, um, you know, like seeing myself or keeping and like, like needing, yeah. Yeah. All of that stuff is like, yeah, I mean, absolutely, you're right. And a lot of women are operating from a very wounded masculine space. A lot of men are operating from a very wounded feminine space. Well, and space. that, I mean, look, if you want to look at like, you know, and again, we could go on this, to this topic forever and ever. It's like, <laughs> if you want to look at, um, you know, I would say probably 70s-ish, like mid-70s to like early 80s, when the feminism, the kind of rise of that wave of feminism, I mean, really what it meant to that first wave of feminists, feminists was equality meant being more masculine. And so mm -hmm. that really actually, I think in a way, I don't know if the word is jump started, but it, it like really shot us into this kind of sphere of immediate like imbalance. Whereas from the very beginning, and look, I think we all know that like, you kind of have to swing the pendulum in the other direction sometimes in order to find the middle ground, right. but that was where that pendulum swung. Right? right. And so now all of a sudden here we are 23, wait, not 20 or how, how many years, like 30 years. <laughs> I'm doing that thing again, where I think it's the year 2000 and like the seventies will forever be 30 years ago. <laughs> we're in this, we're getting like, old V. Sorry. <laughs> the eighties was not 20 years ago. You guys <laughs> don't forget that. 
Um, but yeah, like we, we have overcompensated. And, and now I think these conversations are amazing because this is, mm. these conversations are where we're starting to see that pendulum, I think, kind of finding its way into that middle area. It's, totally. it's interesting when you both said the term like wounded feminine in the masculine and talking about codependency mm. and about, you know, like I think about my childhood immediately. Like mm. I was raised by mostly two female. My, my grandfather was my father figure, but he was, he had his own stuff his own shit but he was very much a stable masculine figure like in my in my mind is a grandfather to me but the two women in my life i mean man codependency very emotionally volatile would shut down and he he did his own thing too trust me we can get into that too but the reason i'm bringing this up is because i realized in my relationships it actually was my wounded feminine that was responsible for a lot of my a lot of the stuff i was doing in me specifically just because of my childhood dynamic you know so I was sort of, I feel like I've always been more tapped into my feminine energy being raised by two very strong women. Um, but also I've had a lot of the shadow from that too, you know, and I have the masculine shadow as well. Too. And I have a very similar situation with our wounded feminine because also not necessarily single. I mean, mine was, but like that very strong, but like strong meaning having to embody whether they liked it or not way more masculine. Wounded than masculine. <laughs> It's so funny you say that. My mom would always, when, when they would say, you know, when I would go to a Little League Gamer, she would be like, you know, sometimes she would ask about my dad and she'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm like, you know, Nicholas's mom and dad. Yeah. You know, she would say those. And she would be joking because it's a joke. But, but that's, that was the idea. Like she had mm -hmm. to do everything, you know, so mm -hmm. she had to be the disciplinary figure. She had to do this. And my mom, you know, suffered with her own mental health stuff and was very sort of emotionally volatile. But as a child, I realized that, you know, there were, there were these different drivers playing because mm -hmm. she was doing this shit solo you know and she yeah. she did her best she made a lot of mistakes and made a, and did a lot of amazing things but i appreciate you saying that vanessa because that really it makes sense to me you know i feel like now looking back at it i'm like you know she that that's where i get a lot of this stuff from and now it's my responsibility to do, deal with it mm -hmm. suss it out yeah i mean i feel like i could we could talk about these dynamics for hours because i feel like they are so fascinating. And to me, it's been such a like eye-opening experience to understand this within myself. And this is like dynamics that are alive for like, oh, this is what's happening here. You know, like wounded patriarchal culture has made so many of us sort of like in this reactionary space of not living with in what I think is our authentic selves, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it makes it really hard relationally to find one another and connect. But we have a rapid fire round of questions that we want to make sure that we have time to get in with you, Nico. Okay. Um, so the first question that we ask all of our guests, um, who have been your greatest influences, teachers, whether people you know or not, but just who's influenced your journey the most up to this point? Um, without a doubt, the three people who raised me. So my mother, mm -hmm. my grandmother, my grandfather. Um, and then I'd say uh, the two women I've been deeply, in, you know, felt deeply in love with, especially in my most past relationship, like I would never be here without that amount of love and the lessons I've learned from that. And then literally every human being I've had a deep conversation with, you know, mm -hmm. and there's thousands of them, you know, you guys just got added to that list today. So, uh, you know, that that's been, that's who makes us who we are, you know, our experiences. So all the people that have touched me in some way and opened my mind a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, so where do you find yourself in a flow state, right? Like what's that thing that can make you blink your eyes and eight hours have disappeared? Yeah, I think 
this like this yeah. deep conversations is my flow state like i start this and i'm just like what time is it it could be like midnight we've been talking for 12 hours and i'll be like i have no idea what i'm doing you know um and then music i think music has always been something that's really been my thing and it's the only universal language we have you know maybe besides the smile or the or, or tears and um yeah but it's i'd say music too you know because you can feel it beautiful what breaks your heart nico that people are out there thinking that they're completely alone and that they don't have anyone to rely on or to turn to you know and i think that um if we started connecting more with each other and even just getting to know someone like your neighbor or being there for someone you know you see that's going through a tough time that's how we start you know meeting each other again because we we have a lot of people on this planet you know mm -hmm. so it's, it's a lot harder now to meet everybody but i think what breaks my heart is knowing that there's people out there that you know feel like they have absolutely nobody to turn to okay this is a really happy one what's your favorite food I love food. So obviously, um, <laughs> just like food. the hardest question uh, of all. Yeah. Honestly, I'm going to say, I'm just going to go back to my roots. Like my Nana is, you know, like straight up awesome cook. You know, she's got all the Mexican dishes down mm. and, uh, she makes some really good green enchiladas that I love. And then some chilaquillas, which if you know those, you oh. LA, so. oh, my stomach <laughs> is going <growling. laughs> I'm hungry. Yeah. yeah. Those, the, I mean, they're definitely not going to, you know, give you a six pack or make you thin um, and it's not a green juice but fuck it is good when you're feeling like you need some food wow Love wow it. i nico like truly i feel like you have to come back because you're to. one of those people where we could just like riff on so many topics for hours and i just so appreciate your perspective on everything um guys if you don't follow nico will you tell people where they can find you because i i love everything that you're putting out yeah, thank Vanessa and Danae, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been wonderful to chat with you. You guys just have so much positivity sort of just oozing off you even through the screen. Uh, so <laughs> if you guys want to follow along at that Barraza boy on Instagram, B-A-R-R-A-Z-A and uh, Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul is the podcast like they both already mentioned. And I've been working on a book for a year now. Um, turns out writing a book is not easy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in that too. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so that'll be out probably in 45 years, but um, it'll be out eventually. Uh, and, you know, it is probably going to change 10 times before it even launches. But I am writing stuff. Some of the memes I put out are like little excerpts from stuff I'm writing. So that's that's there, too. Amazing. So grateful to have you on here. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nico. Thank you both. Really, it's been fantastic. And uh, I've honestly learned already so much just by talking to you guys about this like energy dynamic i'm gonna do some <laughs> writing after this that's amazing we'll talk to you soon cheers thanks for joining us for this episode of cheaper than therapy if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you want to connect with us you can find us on instagram at vanessa s bennett and at danae logan selkin 